Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here, guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Okay, sorry that was loud, but I'm excited. Uh, another edition of Inside Curling. Welcome everybody, and thanks a lot to all our sponsors. We bring you this show every week with our two World Curling Hall of Famers and our not so Hall of Famer host. <laughs> it's not a very good title, Warren. <laughs> I always said I want to have World Curling Hall of Famer on my card, not uh, not washed up radio guy. <laughs> Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction, who brings you uh, what's happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost is the sponsor of Mailbag, and Coyote Tractor, each and every week, brings you Hot Rock Topics, which is always lively. Warren, you got a story for us today. That's brought to you by Meridian. And we've got a guest, Bobby Lame from uh, Scotland, that we're going to talk to, and that is brought to you by Goldline Curling. A couple of events wrapped up uh, this past week, the World Mixed Doubles, ended in Geneva, and also in Geneva was the World Seniors. Canada did really good in one and not so good in the other. There's a little teaser for you. The Coyote Tractor Champions Cup is underway in Olds. Kevin, you're going to be down there. Uh, we've got to check in on that. Starts uh, today as we record. Also, the Canadian, another event, the Canadian U18 is underway in Oakville. Uh, we're going to update you on that event. And in Finland is the World Wheelchair Mixed Doubles. Started a few days ago, so we'll catch up on that. Hot Rocks. Do champions from the Briars and the Scotties continue on to play seniors? Some do, some don't. So, Warren, you're going to talk about that. And how do they manage after 50 years old? Kev, you're not doing it, right? <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. we will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get emails every week. Uh, InsideCurling at gmail.com. We're going to talk to Don... Satram, who's from the U.S., big fan of the show. And Warren, story time. You're on this week, are you? Is it good? Oh, this is a story that's going to have you on the edge of your seat. I'm on the edge of my seat every week, Warren, hoping I don't get in trouble <laughs> from you. <laughs> Send us an email, too. Uh, we love your input on this, and we read a bunch of them uh, each and every week on the show. What's happening around the curling world? is. I'm all excited because I'm going to make some bets. <laughs> it's brought to you by Sports Interaction providing competitive odds on all sports, and of course, including curling. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. you got to be 19 to play, and we want you to play responsibly. Okay, Warren, the World Mixed Doubles uh, wrapped up this week. Uh, give us your final result take on everything. Well, when we left it last week, they were heading into the finals. Uh, final was played on Saturday, and what a final it was. The Scottish twosome of Eve Muirhead and Bommy Lammy came out the victors, but it was a true mixed doubles game. If you can imagine, and most of you listening probably can, it was 5 nothing 
in favor of Scotland after two ends. Alina Pitts and Sven Michel from Switzerland didn't get off to a good start. And in four-person curling, up 5 nothing after two ends, you'd probably pretty much think things were over, but not in mixed doubles. The Swiss started to fight back, and they clawed back until after the sixth end. They were only one point back. Scotland was only leading 7-6. to six. But Muirhead and Lamy pulled it together for the last two ends, came out with a 9-7 win, and the victory for Scotland. On the bronze medal side, interesting as well. We mentioned last week the German team, young Pia-Lisa Scholl and Claudius Harsch, defeated Norway for the bronze medal. I've heard from Claudius this week, and we're probably going to have him on the show with us sometime in the next month. He's got some very interesting ideas and, and things to mention. So, Kevin, what did you think of that uh, that final and the, and the end of the mixed doubles? Well, I don't think it was a big surprise who ended up winning. Eve is on a roll, a major roll, and and if she were to ever miss a shot, Bobby would make it so that she doesn't. So you, you Bobby Lammy's so strong. So you know what? It didn't surprise me. One thing though that we've been we have been talking about, but the sport of curling has been talking about lately, and that's about you know should teams just play mixed doubles or or, or should they? play just four-person curling, or should they do both? And I just, you know, I don't see a a lot of reason to really worry about trying just mixed doubles on its own. Um, You've got Eve Muirhead, who won, of course, the gold medal, and then goes into mixed doubles and wins the gold medal. So, and I just don't see it. Bobby Lammy almost won gold medal at the Olympics and then wins here at at the uh, World Mixed Doubles. And Alina Petz, of course, many, many time world champion, and Sven Mikkel off of uh, Peter de Cruz's team getting the gold and the silver. So I think that's something to really pay attention to. And of course, in the Olympics, you had Stefania, Constantinian, and Amosh Mojaner win the gold, who both play on four person teams. Kristen Skazlin, of course, who plays on a four person women's team, she's at the Worlds, and Magnus Negergotten. So that's going gold and silver. And of course, Oscar Erickson picking up the bronze at the Olympics. The biggest thing for me is. It's just it just seems to me that a dedicated mixed doubles. I'm not, I'm just not sure the, if it's necessary. It seems to be that the top curlers in this case, of course, how do you argue that? Eve Muirhead and, and Bobby Lamy uh, end up winning. Uh, I don't think it matters if they're a dedicated mixed doubles team or they play four person curling and play some mixed doubles on the side. When you're good at curling, you're just good. Um, Warren, uh, thoughts on on uh, on the dedicated mixed doubles versus playing both? Well, I think over the next four years, we're probably going to see some uh, different things happen. Yes, there are going to be some dedicated players. There are now. But a good example is this young German team, from what I've received from Claudius Hirsch, uh, they pretty much are dedicated mixed doubles teams. That's one of the things he wants to talk to us about. So... The next quad is going to be an interesting one here because you're going to see people who are dedicated and you're going to see the people that are going to play both sides as to how that whole thing shakes down and and how they went out. But again, these really good players, I think it's going to be hard to deny them if they decide to go both ways. But how many mixed doubles events are there that someone would be able to dedicate themselves to just mixed doubles, Kev? There can't be enough out there, is there? Well, there's a couple of issues. So events and the size of the events to make it worthwhile financially. If you're going to, if you're a top curler and there's potential of making money both off of purses and sponsorship and notoriety and building your brand, the traditional Mm -hmm. way of, of being able to make money, that's really not available in mixed doubles yet. So if you were to dedicate your your time, it's the problem is there's not a lot on broadcast, 
And so therefore the sponsorships are not as big. Right. And the prize purse isn't as big. So, you know, that's, that's the, a huge concern in, in, in the real world when it comes to top athletes, which way are they going to go? Well, most are going to go where you can sell more sponsorships and, and win, win bigger prize money because of broadcast. You think it'll grow, Warren? You think they will put up more events? Without question. I think it's just a matter of time. I think a lot will happen here again in this next uh, quad, but uh, for sure it, it will grow. Uh, Kev, if we're going to talk seniors, we may as well uh, go to the most senior guy in the show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll be quiet. Okay, Hanson, by a long shot, okay? You don't just squeak in there, okay? I'm going into the Super Masters. (laughs) Okay, the Super Masters. Well, listen, you little Super Master, tell us. What happened at the World Seniors? Good news at the World Seniors in Geneva. World Seniors ended the same day as the mixed doubles. And on the women's side, unfortunately, Candace Sherry Anderson didn't make the final run. But the USA defeated Switzerland by a score of 6-5 to win the women's side. In the bronze medal game, Scotland defeated Finland. So congratulations to Christina Lestander, Sandra Bourne, Sylvia Gygax, Christina Gartenman for their win for Switzerland. On the men's side, Canada captured the gold medal with a decisive 6-3 win over the Czech Republic. Nice. The bronze medal game, Sweden took out Germany. So congratulations to the gold medal winners from Edmonton, skipped by Wade White. Kevin, you know those guys. Tell us a little bit about them. Well, you know, yeah. So Wade White's been a really good curler forever since uh, since I was a kid. We uh, were battling and just, you know, it's kind of funny when, you look at curlers like Wade and, and Barry Cheddarick out of the Lac Labiche area. Dan Holloway-Chuck. Now, Dan is, um, he went to a lot of stuff with the Furby team as fifth uh, back in the day. And George White, heck of a guy and uh, a really good curler. So that's the team. And always have been near the top of our sport. You know, back in the day when when th- these players were fighting it out to try to make it to Briars and so on, because there weren't Grand Slams yet and, and so on then, Alberta was really tough. You've, you know, you had Pat Ryan, Ed Lukowicz, um, and at the, at the end, our team and, and uh, Furby's team. And and even before that, you know, you had the Hector Vays and so on. So it's just always been difficult to get out of Alberta and to make, to get that brand, your name known. Wade White, Barry Chatterack, George White, and Dan Holowaychuk. Those are well-known names in Alberta, just not worldwide until, of course, now that they're winning the uh, World Seniors, well, twice now. Yeah, they won it also back in 2018. Was there seniors curling back in your day, Warren? I'm not being funny here. Uh, not being funny, eh, Jim? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian Seniors Championship was started in 1965. Seagram Distillers was the initial sponsor, and they were with that event until 1972, I believe, and then they switched over to the Canadian Mixed Championship. But that's how it all started back in 1965, was with uh, the help of Seagram's. Uh, Coyote Tractor is one of our big sponsors, the Coyote Tractor Champions Cup. Is on in Olds, Alberta. Kevin, you're going to be there. What, what do you see unfolding here, Kev? Uh, last, this is the last Grand Slam event for a while. Well, a, a few things. I think the uh, one thing that's noticeable, uh, the pools, um, when you look at both sides, are pretty fair. And sometimes that doesn't always happen in pool play, but I'll just quickly go over pool A is uh, Flurry on the women's side. Flurry, Anerson, Unjun Kim, South Korea, Unchi Jim out of South Korea. So two South Korea teams actually in Pool A along with Holman and Corey Christensen from the U.S. In Pool B, you've got Hasselborg, Taryn Zoni, Jennifer Jones, Tab Peterson, but then Madison, Madeline DuPont and Amber Holland. So in both cases, in the women's side, the pools are really quite fair and even. In the men's Pool A, you got Guju, Kui, Jacobs, Epping, 
so Sturmey and, and uh, Young Jakes out of Edmonton. Uh, Nicodine, Mowat, Botcher, Gunner, Dropkin, and Su Hyuk Kim. Now that's with Chang Min Kim. I'm not sure who will hold the broom. Chang Min likely will, but that's out of Pool B. So I think the pools are fair. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, just some big matchups for people that are wondering, what, you know, when should I go down to the rink and what, what's going on? And Wednesday at noon... We've got Team Anderson playing Holman. Now, this event's only, this is only the sixth time, and Holman's won three of them. So Rachel loves this event, and they play at noon on Wednesday. Great game. Wednesday night at 8, you've got Team Cooey taking on Team Jacobs. Those are two teams that will not be the same going forward, playing each other on Wednesday night, two of the favorites, and playing each other. So I think that's going to be fantastic. And one thing I just had to say, Thursday evening at 8 o'clock, like to kind of circle this on your calendar, Sheet A. Hasselborg, Terenzoni. Well, the two best teams are two of the best teams fighting it out. On sheet B, Bravo. Nicodine, Bruce Mowat. On sheet Charlie, you've got Gushu against Cooey. On Delta, you've got Flurry and Anderson. How, 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 how do you get better than that on a night of curling, Warren? That's, that, that's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. Uh, so, Warren, uh, this just in. I don't mind making the odd bet. I want some dough on you, Kevin, back in your day. Uh, the, we used to have good little things in the briar patch. Every time there was a draw, there was a bunch of guys from Thunder Bay who used to take action on all the games. Warren, you got, we've got some odds. Sports Interaction has been into curling now for a while. And, uh, I, I see they put up odds like some of those long shots, Warren, uh, maybe worth a little shot. Give us some of the odds, Warren. Let's take a look at what, uh, Sports Interaction has, uh, suggested as far as odds are concerned. Let's look at the women's. So I think we'd have to agree with uh, their favorites, Carrie Einerson, Sylvania Terenzoni, and Anna Hasselberg. Odds on Einerson for a $100 bet is a return of 285 on Terenzoni, 292 and Anna Hasselberg, 335 I would have to f- agree with those probably being the three teams that uh, got the best shot here. I think, again, Rachel Holman has struggled a bit, but I, I got a feeling that team's ready to break through. They're at 631 $100 bet would be a good... Good situation there. But the real long shot on the women's side, Amber Holland, $100 bet will get you 12400 The uh, long shot on the women's side without question. And the men's side, again, pretty much as we would suspect, Bruce Mowat, of course, number one. $100 bet will get you a return of 187 Nicodine, 279 Brad Gushu, 313 And Kevin Cooey, 536 The long shot on the men's side, Ryan Jakes, 13300 That's the best bet you could make out there if you want a nice return, if he can squeak through. From my point of view, again, like Holman, I think Cooey is ready to break through. They've been so close uh, so many times this year. They've certainly had their troubles with Brad Gushu, but this is the last time that team will play together, and I kind of got a feeling they're going to do well. So I like Kevin Cooey as well as Mawat, Aden, and Gushu. There you go. So uh, go to the Sports Interaction site and place a bet, as I will be. Okay, Warren, another event taking place this week in Finland uh, and a Canadian one in Oakville. Tell us about both of them. Let's talk about the one in Oakville. Really important event for Canadian curling is the U18. And uh, I think we can't stress the importance of this event enough. Interesting enough, they've got a little different format this year. Each gender has 21 teams. Um, this consists of 12 provincial territorial winners. However, Yukon and Nunavut did not send teams. So nine member associations were able to send a second team based on their combined results from 2018 and 2019 uh, because of the situation with COVID. 
Interesting enough with these 21 teams, I think moving forward, if they can do it, I think having a couple of teams from every province at this level would be fantastic if it can happen. But we'll see. So they're going through a round robin. They've got three pools. After the round robin, three teams will emerge from each section, go into a nine-team sudden-death playoff with the top seven teams getting a bye from the first round. Again, congrats to Curling Canada on this event. Uh, Glad you've got it going and uh, hope it can become bigger and better. In the meantime, in Finland, another event is happening for the first time ever, and it's the World Mixed Doubles Wheelchair Championship. There are 18 teams split into two round-robin groups. The round-robin stage started Saturday, continue until Wednesday, and the event will end on Thursday. The top three teams in each group will progress to the playoff stage with the winners of each group receiving a bye into the semifinals. Canada is represented in this event by Marie Wright and Jamie Ancien. So good luck to our uh, Canadian team and uh, another new event taking place in Finland. So thanks a lot to Sports Interaction, bringing you uh, what's happening around the curling world. Hot Rock Topics is brought to you by Coyote Tractor, proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. So the World Seniors ended this weekend and a Canadian team skipped by Wade White, won the men's side of the championship for the second time. Interesting, Wade is a person that never had success at the national or international level before seniors. So the question is, what happens to the top male and female curlers after the age of 50? Well, Kev, we know what happened to you. You just faded away. (laughs) (laughs) Exit stage left. Do most of them end up playing seniors or do they retire? Uh, Why don't we see more of their names at the top of the Canadian and world seniors? Kev, you've got that hip, right? That, that stopped you, didn't it? Or did you ever consider uh, before you got injured that you would play at the senior level? Oh, I still curl some and certainly teach a lot. And uh, so throwing rocks is no problem. And yeah, I do have a a fake hip now and, but it works great. So no, I just, you know what, with, uh, it was about 30 years of pretty much practicing every day that wasn't a game day or a travel day. It was just enough was enough. Even after 2010, actually, after the Olympics, I considered actually shutting it down then because it was just, you know, enough. But talking to the team and, and, and sponsors and everything, okay, I'll go four more years to 2014. Mm-hmm. 30 years, that was enough. I really was excited to try to get into broadcasting, more teaching, and just sort of, I guess, still involved with the game of curling, just not on the ice. So, um, it didn't change a lot in my life other than uh, just a different way of looking at things. Uh, when I was done on the tour and, and playing at the at that level, I just that was, that was enough. That was it for me. So it, I think it maybe depends a little bit on how how much you actually played while you played. I think that sort of matters a little bit. And the teams, you know, like, like ours or, you know, Brad Gushu going forward or, you know, these guys that play so much for so many years, the, the body does fall apart a little bit but more maybe mentally being able to get up. And that's where I see somebody like Wade White. He practices a lot. Like he, he has really earned these championships, but he's excited still. Like he's into it. If you can, you know, at 50, over 50, be as excited and motivated and driven as a young person. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Warren, it's probably, uh, probably back in the day, you know, I don't know, like, like 20 years ago when there's far less, high performance events. I'm, I'm guessing people go into the seniors curling, but God, everyone's curling full time now, Warren. I'm thinking one of the options is I'm not curling anymore when I decide to get out of cash spiels and, and of course, national and international events. What say you, Warren, about this? I think the matter of how people deal with competition is very different from person to person. 
I know in my own case, I, I virtually quit competitive curling at about the age of 38 because of my huge involvement with the sport of curling in other areas. And as you go through a long competitive career, it's hard. It's hard emotionally. It's hard physically. And I think by the time you hit 50, uh, many people have kind of had enough. In competitive sport, you've got to do more than just show up. And as, as I look at uh, some of the guys that uh, played back in my day who did try to win seniors, I kind of got the feeling they just showed up and uh, they didn't really have the burning desire to win. And as a result, they didn't. But on the other side of the coin, a number of uh, top players from the past that did well in the Briar and Scotties did go on to do well in seniors. Jim Ursel's. Jim Ursel is a good example. He won the Worlds 1990 and 1991. Al Hackner, 2006, two-time Briar winner. Pat Ryan, two-time Briar winner three-time Briar winner, pardon me, in 2007. On the women's side, going way back, Emily Farnham, who was a 1974 Lassie's champion, she won the seniors in 89. The amazing one, Sherry Anderson, who played in the Scotties many times, never won it. She won the World Seniors up until this year, I believe three times, 2017, 18, 19 for sure. I think she won a Canadian 2020, and of course, there wasn't a world event, I don't believe, but again, she was there this year and uh, has done very well at the seniors level. So, if I look at some of the other people from the past, Baldwin, Gervais, Northcott, Richardson, Sparks, Howard, Wernick, Lukowicz, Furby, Folk, and Martin, uh, these guys either never tried to win at seniors, or in a couple of cases, I know they tried, but they didn't win. If we look at the women's side, Kelly Law, Lindsay Sparks, Linda Moore, Connor Laliberti, Marilyn Bodo, again, didn't see any of them at the seniors level. Some of them may have tried, but, uh, but they never made it. So, interesting topic as to what motivates people to continue playing into seniors after they've had a successful competitive career. So you're saying if you're going to compete at the senior level, you're going to have to practice. You can't just laugh your way through it, right? Without question. I think as Kevin mentions, uh, this white team is a good example. These guys are in their 50s. They're really hungry, and they're they're going to approach the thing aggressively. And uh, somebody who's played in a half a dozen or more briars, maybe won a couple of them, they want to maybe continue playing, but but they're just not uh, hungry enough to want to do all the practicing and the work that it needs to win. And these guys like White, who haven't enjoyed that success before, are just a little a little meaner on a sheet of ice. And as a result, they win. Hot Rock Topics uh, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you live in Alberta or around here, get down to Olds to watch the Coyote Tractor Champions Cup is on this week. Are, are you down there yet, Kev? When do you go? No, I get, uh, television starts uh, Thursday at noon, so I'll get down there Wednesday evening sometime and, and see everybody and excited to get there. This is a, a really good event, some different teams, which is great. Uh, let's go to the mailbag, brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost, convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love, and I can vouch for that. We received an interesting email from Don Satram. Uh, here's what Don had to say. Big fan of the show, by the way. You posted on Facebook that it is obvious He's got that in big block letters, fellas. So something's coming here from Don. You posted on Facebook that it is obvious that Canada is no longer a curling superpower. Really? On your most recent podcast, you all seem to agree with Mike Harris that the number one team in the world is Mowat, Adin is second, Gushu is third, or 1A, 1B, 1C. Talking about the growth of curling around the world, he also said that the other nations were as good as, not better than, Canada. Is that not a good thing for the sport of curling? Do you really want a return to the days where it took a monumental upset for Canada to not win a world championship? I think most curling fans, at least those not in Canada, like the idea that there's real competition for any championship. Has there ever been a world slash Olympic curling event where Canada was not one of the favorites to win? To quote the old English curler, Bill Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that's funny. Willie Shakespeare, as I know him. Methinks thou doth protest too much. That's directed at both of you guys. Thanks a lot to Don for that email. Well, thanks, Don, for the email, first of all. Um, appreciate it. And for me, growing the sport worldwide has always been a very important part of what I, I think and I've done, actually. And uh, so to to have the, the parody around the globe is huge, actually. I think it's fantastic. Um, so I'm not sure exactly where Don's thinking I disagree with that. When it comes to our... I'm, I'm a Canadian, though. I, as a curling fan... No, you know, I look at the world of curling, and it's fantastic that, that the, the world has basically leveled out in, in so many countries. But as a Canadian, I want to see us continue to do well. And I just think that from a training standpoint and building the teams and resources and what we do at the young age, I just don't think we're building things properly, uh, in my opinion, to, to give our young athletes the best chance possible to win. So I think there should be some some changes that need to be done at the high performance level as the structure of our sport in our country. That doesn't mean that I don't want to see Sweden and Switzerland and Italy. I am so happy for Italy doing so well right now and, and all of these various countries, uh, Germany uh, in the mixed doubles and so on, that are doing so well and all these new countries coming in. We talk about it a lot. But, you know, you, I'm Canadian, so I want to see Canadians' teams do well. And right now we're, we're not doing as well as what I kind of think we should be able to with the, the level of the athlete that we have in our country. So I think that there could be some definite changes made to give our athletes a better chance. I don't think that's an unfair way to look at it. Do you think it needs more money, Kev? We know Mowat, right, spends all his time. We were talking about it a few shows ago. I think both of you were saying, well, it's no wonder they do so well. They curl all day long, every day. Do we need more cash in there so, so guys can curl full time? Well, yeah, so there's certainly, that's something that needs to be looked at, full-time curlers versus uh, most of the Canadian teams have you know, jobs and, and, uh, or businesses or whatever they do, mm-hmm. and then curling as well. And it's, it, can't, it isn't full-time for most Canadian uh, athletes. Okay, that's one thing to look at, but how we train, how we bring the, the young people together in a training camp, or, or do we? Like, you know, we, we certainly don't right now. At, at, at what age do we start to, to pay attention to all of our top athletes on the women's and the men's side? These are all things that we need to look at and, and bring them together in some sort of a training manner to have them peak at what age so that they can be as strong as possible at the World Championships and at, at the uh, Olympic Games. And that's, uh, that's the way to look at it. Warren, you don't have anything to say about this, do you? No, no, I, I, I won't comment. Um, I think the first thing to say is certainly the interviews we've had with people like uh, Mawat and Muirhead, Edin, they've more or less indicated, yes, they're pretty much curling full-time, but they're, they're not uh, getting rich doing it. And while they're getting some support, I'm, I'm not sure even from their Olympic committees if they're getting much more support than the Canadian teams are that are, are receiving uh, carding money. They want to curl bad enough and win that they're, they're doing it. So I think certainly injecting more funds to allow people to do that is great, but I think we should be clear that the European teams that are doing this are not all of a sudden funded by Olympic committees or government to give them an easy life to allow them to curl. I think from the point that Don makes, uh, it's probably a good one, but let's take a look at what the whole situation is. In Canada, we've got two sports, curling and hockey, that we have become accustomed to success at the world level. 
And in both cases, we've had to struggle as the rest of the world has caught up, but there's still huge expectation and it's the image. It's what's, it's what's going to keep people in the curling clubs and wanting to play the game if they see the Canadian teams have success at the world level. Don's in the United States. I can imagine if the U.S. basketball team went to uh, two or three Olympics and didn't come back with a medal that uh, there'd be a lot of grumbling going on in the United States because of their strength in that sport. So I think we've got to do well. I don't think we have to win every time, but certainly let's take a look at what we're looking at right now. Let's say the last three Olympics, or pardon me, the last two Olympics, we have won two out of a possible six medals. Only one was gold. On the women's side of things, since 2009, the women's world's two goals have been won by Canada. In the last three three Olympics, uh, on the women's side, only one medal, a gold in 2014. So... Well, in fact, uh, our teams have done well. They haven't hit the podium. And I think from the image of the sport in Canada and people having interest in it and for the sport overall, remember a lot of the viewers in television. They aren't the hardcore people that are listening to our podcasts or communicating with us on Facebook. They are the people that are interested when they see Canada doing well. And we need these people to keep the game going and, and to be successful. So uh, we don't have to win every time, but for Canada, winning is important. Well, any high-level curler, they all talk about in the end going, you know, the game's getting better and we got to grow the game, we got to grow the game. Well, well, now it's growing and we're getting beat and now everyone's pouting. <laughs> like, okay, listen, Kev, okay, we want you to grow, but not that fast, okay? Not that fast. So you got to pick your poison, people. Do you want it to grow or do you want Canada to win? Good stuff, Don. You're going to get a copy of Warren's book, Sticks and Stones, which is the story of how curling got into the Olympics. Uh, so very good for you. If you want to send us an email and we read yours, you'll win a copy of the book too, insidecurling at gmail.com. Okay, Kevin, as promised. Oh, there he is. He's knocking at the door. Okay, we got him. Thanks a lot to Goldline Curling Equipment. They can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, and Mississauga, and two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. We've always had... Very high-profile curlers on, and today's no exception. But they've always been skips, Kevin. People have reached out to us going, can you find a second? Can you do that for us? So today our guest is on one of the greatest curling teams in the world, no doubt about it, Bobby Lammy, who just won the World Mixed Doubles with Eve Muirhead in Scotland. Bobby is a very decorated curler, and you're only 25 years old. Holy man. You're on the gold medal junior team at the Worlds with Bruce Mowat back in 2016. And when you got into men's curling, you uh, were second on Mowat's team. Since 2017, the team has won a silver bronze medal at the Worlds, a silver at the Olympics, and two golds at the European Championship. And they've won five Grand Slams. Bobby Lammy is our guest. Bobby, come on in, man. It's probably because of you that all this success on this team, isn't it? Oh, hi there. It's, a, it's quite the introduction. Thank you. <laughs> First of all, congratulations on the mixed doubles. Uh, Kevin joins me today. Warren's got the afternoon off. Walk us through that week. Yeah, it was such a fun week for us. I think uh, 
everyone part of the, the Scotland team out there just especially in a city like Geneva such a nice place to curl and just uh, the sun was out 20 degrees getting the tan on between the games it was it was perfect and just uh, the whole curling experience just used to playing so much obviously men's com- competitions throughout the year that change from mixed doubles just for a week or two was quite refreshing actually and just uh, a different look at the game and just having to think about different things a certain way it was just yeah, it was a nice refresh and a probably a wee, a wee break from the, the men's game. Yeah, take us inside that, Bobby, when you say uh, you got to start to think a different way. Uh, I mean, there's the obvious differences between four men and, and mixed. What do you have to do to adapt? Yeah, I think uh, some of the differences, obviously, the shots getting cold. There's a lot more, obviously, draws, freezes, wee taps, and you have to just control the top of that forefoot as uh, the key in the mixed doubles. I think it's also knowing your misses as well in mixed doubles can be quite important. Usually in the men's game, you're trying to make everything perfect. You've got two sweepers, you've got a skip up the other end, whereas you come to the mixed doubles and you've just got uh, two people, basically. So it's can be a bit more difficult to make the shots. So it's just maybe not expecting to make everything perfect and just knowing your room for error, I think that can be quite crucial in that game. Yeah, do you, do you like all the rules, Bobby, or would you change anything? Uh, you know, you've got the power play and and a, and a bunch of other stuff that's different. Who throws what rocks? Yeah, I do like the rules. I think change from, it used to just start the game with the stone in the rings at the back of the button, and then move that to the back of the four. I think that was definitely a good change. But I still think there can maybe still be some room for trial and error there, I guess. Maybe putting that stone at the top of the button, because if you start any game... I guess the person throwing the guard would be happy there, but then if the second team, if they threw one back four, they'd be disappointed with that. So I guess you could almost say you're starting the end at a disadvantage there. So if you maybe put it top button, it would be like a, maybe a slightly more fair and it would be, it would definitely make the game a wee bit harder to steal and stuff, I think. Maybe a wee bit trial and error there would be good. Oh yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, we're going to keep you honest. Kevin joins us. Kevin Martin, World Curling Hall of Famer. Kevin? Yeah, well, you know what? You meant, you made a really good uh, comment, Bobby, a bit ago. And hey, thanks a lot. First of all, thanks a lot for taking the time. You're in, you're in Olds right now, competing, of course, in the Champions Cup. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking a few minutes here with us. But you made a great comment on, uh, you said to take a week or two and, and do the mixed doubles. So I was going to ask you because there's lots of discussion and we get a lot of emails and, and a lot of messages about should four person curlers be only four person curlers, men and women? and mixed doubles curlers be only mixed doubles curlers and dedicated to your craft. Or, in your case, in Eve's, primarily four-person curling and then mixed doubles once in a while. What are your thoughts on that, being able to do both versus dedicating to yourself to one? Yeah, I think uh, everyone should have the opportunity to play both, in my opinion. That's definitely the way I like to do it. Obviously, I would say my preferred format, obviously, is still the, the four-man game. That's uh, what I grew up playing. That's the one that I love to play. But the mixed doubles is definitely something that can help enhance your four-man game as well, I think. Just the different array of shots. And I think they both actually complement each other pretty well. I think you see that the players that were finishing at the end of the week last week at the Worlds are also in very good men's and women's teams. So it shows that it kind of carries over pretty well. Well, you said that it may help your game a little bit, actually, playing mixed doubles. And you made a great statement saying that, okay, you're not quite as precise 
possibly because it's just you and Eve out there. You don't have somebody holding room and two sweepers that can jump on the rock immediately. You just don't have that available in mixed doubles. So tell me your thoughts on how how you think the game has improved you by playing mixed doubles has improved your four-person game. Yeah, I think it just like the draw weight obviously is such an important factor in the mixed doubles and just kind of the back four and back eight taps and just creating the angles and just understanding to be able to control the top of that forefoot. I think we kind of see that with Bruce as well. He's obviously played a lot of mixed doubles over his years and us as a team now, we like to think we're pretty aggressive and uh, like to take the game on and try and create angles and get stones in play. And I think that carries over actually from probably his mixed doubles play and the four of us playing mixed doubles as well. We're not scared to get into that kind of guddles, I guess, a bit more. Yeah, you guys definitely enjoy getting into a into lots of rocks and play type of a curling game. I'd love you to talk about carving. What exactly are you doing when you want a rock to an outturn, for example, to curl more or to stay straight? We, I think a lot of our curling fans around the world are very confused as to what it is that Bobby Lammy is doing when you're hitting those rocks a certain way to make them do what you want them to do. Yeah, I think, uh, to be honest, I think maybe the whole curling community is in the same situation here that the science behind that isn't, I guess, maybe fully understood. It's just kind of, it popped up, I guess, by chance, and it's just been trial and error since then, and people trying different techniques and obviously different brushes, but now they're kind of, after Broomgate, that was good, and it's all kind of evened out now. But the carving situation, it can be quite an important one. It can be the difference between making or resting a shot, but I think it's all about getting the brush over the correct path that the stone is travelling, and it's just creating them... I guess that stroke to the way that you want the stone to go almost allow the stone to follow that in a way. And you have to obviously sweep across the stone the way it's uh, curling and sweep on the inside of the stone and just the stroke that's going away from the stone. For anyone really wanting to try it, it's really just trial and error and just keep throwing lots of stones and sweeping them and seeing what position has the biggest impact. I think that's what we've done and I guess every other team's done is just trial and error and just keep at it and seen what works best. So do you think that, and I don't know the answer, like I've watched you sweep a lot, but you've got incredible speed, like your brush head goes really, really fast, but it seems to have a lot of pressure down. Is there, is one thing more important than the other or is maximizing both best? I think it depends on what you're probably trying to achieve. Uh, I think speed obviously has a big impact, but I think pressure is, as you see, kind of the guys just leaning on the brush now in front of the stone, you see the impact of that. It's maybe slightly less taxing on the body as well, so you can save energy for later on the super if you want to up your speed. But I think it's about finding the balance between the two. I always try and picture myself like going fast, but getting the pressure almost as like having a digging action on the ice, trying to almost brush like through the ice, if that makes sense, and like, dig up the ice and just uh, have as much pressure on that downstroke as possible and just try and keep the speed high. Right, and that's for carving, that's for directing the rock, correct? Yeah, for holding it straight and carving it, and also for making the stone go far as well, to be honest. I think uh, I think there isn't a huge difference between all three of them. It's just finding the angle that you want to hit the stone at is the, is the main one when you're changing between either holding it straight or carving it. Okay. I know we're getting into the weeds here a little bit, but this is such interesting stuff. You're one of the first ones to turn the broom, instead of being across from the rock's path... You're actually going with the path, uh, lengthwise of the rock. Do you know what I mean, Bobby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you're one of the first ones to do that. Is there a reason why? I think uh, it 
as you stand from another team in Scotland, I think trying that first, and it was actually if you stand still and just sweep on the ice with the brush uh, as you normally would, it heats up the ice and the ice maybe gets a wee bit flat, as you would say. But if you sweep with it from north to south, I guess you could say it heats up the ice actually considerably more. Oh, it does. Okay, so you know that. Yeah, it does. And then, so I think carrying that over into the sweep, it would have the same effect. But I think there's a uh, some maybe unreliability with that technique that it's maybe just a, if, if you're really wide, I guess you need to try that and hope for the best. But <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit more unreliable than the than the normal technique. Okay, I got one more question about this, and then I'm going to let Jimmy uh, get back in here for a second because I can tell his eyes are glossing over. I got stuff. I got so stuff. No, no, I'm okay. I'm following. I'm fo- I get it. Directional sweeping. I get it. Yeah. Okay. He's okay. making fun of me, Bobby. Don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. The next thing is is the hard cleaning. You see, you do it, Oscar uh, Erickson, uh, Brad Thiessen, and, and so on. Um, these strong sweepers, and for the first while it's just a hard clean there's not much motion it's just substantial pressure in front of that rock yeah and you mentioned something about energy savings yeah in the body which is great but what does it actually do to draw weight if if you and hammy the other sweeper on your team you and hammy go hard on a rock sweeping moving your broom from the time bruce lets it go to stop or you hard clean for the first X amount of time and then go hard. What's the difference in distance the rock can go? To be honest, not much. We did some testing on this and actually just putting pressure in front of the stone almost carried it just as far. And there really wasn't huge differences between the distance the stone would travel. So I think especially and obviously in that first half of the sweep, there's no real need to sweep with maximum speed there, I don't think. And you can just pressure and then save energy for the second half is the key. So this is important, Jim. So when you come out to curl, the first half of the sheet on a draw, you just lean in front of it, and then you go hard. Even if your skip's yelling at you to sweep, you just say, Bobby Lammy told me. Uh, Kevin, I will not be sweeping, okay? I will not be sweeping the first time I come out. <laughs> your first curling game, you'll be the skip. Yeah, okay, good, uh, good. Bobby, uh, often on this show, uh, you know, over the last several months and, and since we've been doing uh, inside curling and, and prior to that over the last several years, Canada is, is, is losing more and more uh, than they used to. Uh, it's a credit to all the other countries around and, and the growth of the sport. Kevin's often talked about it. We'll get a lot of emails with people weighing in on this, the Canadian program. Do we need to do, dedicate more time to a bunch of teams? How can we do this? And and what should we do? And when we pose that question to a lot of our listeners, a lot of them go, I don't know. Why don't you do what Team Moet does? Because <laughs> uh, you guys are so good. Uh, is there something in the haggis, Bobby? Okay, what's going on here? Uh, we got to send a spy over. You guys are so good. What separates you on this fantastic run that you guys have been having since you were juniors? We want the secret, Bobby. Okay, we want the secret. Well, I'm sorry to say, but I don't think there is any real secret. But uh, it's just to be honest, spending a lot of time on the ice together I think has uh, been big for us like when we are training we're on ice together every day and I think obviously the size of Canada and where people live that can make that a bit difficult for them and they don't have the opportunity to be on the ice together as a team every day and I think that is definitely one thing that's been a huge help for us and just allowed us to understand each other's game almost better than we know our own help each other when something's going wrong because you know exactly what they need to fix that and just certain things and coach Allen he's been amazing for us and just we all get on so well and just 
have the same kind of passion for the game and the same goals and just working towards the same thing has been the key for us. Do you focus on one thing more than the other when you guys practice? Uh, no, we change it up every day, really try and keep some variety uh, in our training because obviously if you're doing the same thing every day, it can get a bit uh, tedious and perhaps boring, but we try to keep it uh, fresh when possible. But when we come back from competitions, we just have an honest talk and just see what went right, what didn't go right. And then if something went wrong, I get that's our next focus for the next week try and solve that, make that better. We're just always trying to look for that wee edge to improve. Before I let you go, you got to talk about the skipper because he's, again, uh, I mean, he's just the nuts these days in, in, in curling. Can you talk about why he is so good? Yeah, I think he's, in my opinion, he's probably the best shot maker in the, in the game just now. And that's obviously a huge benefit for us as a team. I think just he's, uh, he's never scared to play a shot or play the game in a certain tactical wise way that's going to leave him hard shots at the end he's fully comfortable with that and he just uh, we have a huge trust in him and he's a huge confidence in himself quiet confidence as you can probably see he's never boastful about it but uh, I think he's got a quiet confidence about himself and just nothing ever makes him too up or down and he's just pretty laser focused out there what's he like off the ice is he is he as quiet off the ice or, or is he crazy <laughs> <laughs> No, he's crazy. No, I'm joking. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> no, he's, he's somewhere off the ice. Uh, he's, he can be quiet, but also when we get into that team environment, we're always joking with each other and just having a good laugh, and he's always getting involved with that. So, yeah, I would say he's quiet, but not overly with us. Quiet like you, Kevin. <laughs> exactly. Good and quiet, never says a word. You don't get in trouble that much. Hey, Bobby, uh, 25 years old, and what else do you do besides curl? What, what else do you like to do uh, off off the ice, away from curling? Aren't you a really good golfer? Yeah, yeah, I love to, I love to golf. That's uh, my main uh, hobby and the thing I probably do the most in the summer. Don't uh, golf too much during the winter, obviously, because curling kind of takes over, but had the first round of the the season yesterday, Ben Hebert was nice enough to take us out to his uh, home course, but I don't really want to talk about the result of that match too much. But. <laughs> well, I'll find out from Benny if he beat you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. Is Hebert as good as he says he is? Nobody's as good as Ben Hebert says he is. He talked a good game, but I'll give it to me. He, he managed to back it up yesterday. Oh, good. Okay. What's your handicap? Uh, one. Holy man. Ben Hebert cannot beat a one handicap unless you didn't show up somehow. Uh, it was a it was a team game. He had some help from from Brett Glant. Brett hits it far, eh? Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, these are good golfers for sure. Hey, uh, life plans. You're 25 years old. I was going to say you're just getting started, but you you've already won a ton. But you are kind of just getting started in the game. But what? How do you look forward to going forward in in the sport and into work and life and those types of things? That does that or does that even come to a person's mind at 25 years old? <laughs> Not overly, to be honest. Uh, Right now, for the last two years, I've just been fully focused on curling, to be honest, and just kind of in the moment with that and just kind of riding the wave, I guess you could say, and plan is to hopefully ride that wave for as long as possible and keep achieving things and keep trying to get better. But I guess there's going to come a stage where that's uh, no longer going to be a possibility and probably should, to be honest, start, <laughs> start trying to think about that. Well, I'm starting to think about it. Yeah, but you're a hundred, Kev. Okay. Yeah. When, when, when I grow up, I am going to do something. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do, but when I figure it out, a little bit about your training program and your uh, the new training center. Yeah. I did. We did talk to Eve about it uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but one thing I didn't ask her, and I meant to, is 
like your team and, and, and Ross's team, Eve's team, and you got all these great curling teams right now. But is there also a, a, a group of young kids, so you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, that are also using the trainer, training center? Is that something that's happening too? Uh, yeah, as they, they don't use it as, as frequently as we do. We're in there every day for quite a few hours, but uh, they use it in the evenings, so we don't see them too often. But there are definitely as uh, younger kids in there, especially around the, I guess, 17 to 21-year-olds are in there using it in the evening, getting ready for their junior competitions. There's two teams going to the World Juniors just now, so they've actually kept the training facility open to allow them to train right up for another two weeks until the World Juniors happens. So... Yeah, they're pretty uh, accommodating for all ages in there. Is there a, a female and a male that would be kind of like the next Eve Muirhead or the next Bruce Mowat coming up right now that you can talk about at all? Like the next phenom? Bobby Lammy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're old now. You're 25. We're talking 17, 18. I'm getting on. No, there's, a, as I said, there's the two teams going to the World Juniors, uh, James Craig and uh, Shea Henderson. Their two teams are definitely good. Uh, they're up and coming uh, I think they both get a brilliant chance at the at the world, so I think that's probably two teams you can start to look out for in the next few years, getting onto the the adult circuits. Bobby Lammy has been our guest. You are part of the uh, best curling team in the world. Don't worry about any rankings, okay, folks? Okay, don't argue about it. Yeah, we don't need to worry about that. And and a one handicap. You know, I want to hang out with you, man. Okay, twenty five, winning all this stuff. One handicap. What do you watch on Netflix? <sighs> Netflix. Uh... Not much recently, actually. I just finished uh, finished recently Ozark. Oh, that a boy. Okay. That was good. Great show. Very good. Very good. If you like Ozark, you got a bit of an edge to you. Hey, wait a second. Hey, Bobby, Bobby, you said one thing that I I, I got a question, and that's when you were in Geneva. Yeah. You talked about uh, beautiful weather, 20 degrees, and getting a tan on. Yeah. I think you tan a lot like me, kind of like a bright red or a kind of a dark, dark pink. I don't know what's getting there now. It's, it, definitely was, it definitely was red, but it's turning a little bit more golden i would like to say if you're a scottish guy getting a tan you should write a book about it that would be a, <laughs> that'd be a bestseller bobby lammy's been our guest uh he is the second on bruce mowat's team and they are rolling baby oh, rolling did i do that right <laughs> <laughs> close yeah close thanks man bobby take it easy thanks a lot for joining us and uh good luck the rest of the week down in old no thanks for having me okay man yeah. thank you we'll see you down in old thanks bobby see you bobby cheers Meridian Manufacturing, they sponsor a great segment here. It's called Storytime, and we've had many good stories. Uh, Kevin, I forget what we talked about last week. but Anyway, go back and listen. But I remember not being able to talk. Warren, you've got a story for us today. Thank you to Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners, and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. All right, Warren, you're on. What do you got for us? Well, I'm going to talk about one of the icons of Canadian curling that we probably haven't talked about a lot in this show for some reason, and he's still alive at the age of 95, is Matt Baldwin. Matt Baldwin's up there with uh, Ken Watson, Ernie Richardson, as far as being a key person in the growth and development of curling in Canada. And as mentioned, he's still alive, living in Edmonton and Palm Springs, the two places that he has been residing uh, up until the uh, pandemic hit us a couple of years ago anyway. So I'll tell you about an interesting experience I had that tells you what kind of influence I think uh, things can have on a young kid. I wasn't very old in 1954. I won't tell you how old. But my parents uh, 
were curlers, not great curlers, but they were curlers. And I heard about this event being played in Edmonton called the Briar. My parents decided to go on the final day and I tagged along. I had no idea what this whole thing was about, except I was told there'd be curlers attending from all over Canada. Alberta was represented by Edmonton's Matt Baldwin, and he was leading the field decisively heading into the final round. So in a mild March afternoon, we, along with about three other excited Edmontonians, journeyed to the old red brick Edmonton Gardens. I think the Edmonton Gardens was gone before you got to Edmonton, wasn't it, Jim? Yes, it was, yes. Kevin remembers it. When Baldwin went to deliver his final stone of the game, he was leading New Brunswick by a score of 9-5, to five, so his final shot didn't really matter. He headed to the way end, to the hack to deliver, and a crowd started chanting, slide, slide, slide. Baldwin crouched in the hack, just one throw away for winning his first briar ever. He became the youngest person to ever win the briar as well. But just before he started to throw, the crowd started to chant. And again, it was slide, slide, slide. And it got louder. So Baldwin stood up from the hack. Baldwin was a very charismatic guy. He's a bit of a showman. Looked to the crowd and said, do you really want it? And did they ever? So he slid. Grinning all the way, Baldwin slid through the rings, past the hog line, and almost halfway down the sheet before releasing the stone towards the button. Perfect weight, speed, and precision, crossed the top of the circles, and glided into stop at the top of the button. And the crowd went crazy. I had witnessed history, and the transformation of what had been considered up until then, then an old man's game, and I was now hooked, along with many other younger people, to become part of that game. The Baldwin slide of 1954 started a curling avalanche in Alberta. It soon spilled over to other parts of Canada. It was a huge turning point for the sport of curling. Again, he became the youngest man ever to win the briar, and he held that record until 1981 when Kerry Burtnick of Manitoba at the age of 22 became the briar champ, and Kerry still holds that record. Baldwin wasn't finished. He went back to the briar in 56, winning again in 57 and 58. One year before the start of the world championship, and he returned to the briar one more time in 1971, but did not do that well. The next time I do story time, I will tell another story that very much involved Matt Baldwin about the Dominion Curling Association stones that Matt had a huge role in seeing the demise of. But we'll save that for next time. Well, Warren, I've done the math, okay? And um, that story started where you were there in 1954. I know you don't want to give away your age, but that was 68, <laughs> that was 68 years ago, okay? So, if you were one... Okay, you, your minimum age is 69, and I know that wasn't the case. So <laughs> I was a kid, Jim. Yes, I know you were. I know you were. <laughs> Great story, though. Great story for sure. Thanks a lot to Meridian Manufacturing for bringing us story time. Boys, uh, great show. A great interview with Bobby Lamay, and uh, good luck to him and all the other teams, and good luck to you, Kev. You'll finally get a break, Kevin, won't you, after this is the last Grand Slam for a while, so uh, you can fix up your golf game, Kev. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anything will fix up my golf game, but I'll give it a try. Yeah, I'm going to play against you this year and see if see if you're a sandbagger or not. So fantastic stuff. Uh, we want to thank Rod Paulson. His company, In-House Strategies, looks after all our Facebook uh, stuff and our Facebook page. And uh, that's the go-to spot, boy, if you're a fan of this show and uh, a fan of curling. Tons and tons of in- input from everyone. Send us an email as well, insidecurling at gmail.com. And again, if we read it, we'll give you a copy of Warren's book, Sticks and Stones. Okay, boys, back to doing what you were doing. Kevin, Oilers lose the first game. Oh, I know. Okay, NHL playoffs are underway. Yeah. Ah, they'll come back. They'll come back. They'll come back. And Warren, how did your Vancouver Canucks do in the first round? Oh, no. Yeah, they didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Take care, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, This has been an episode of Inside Curling, and we'll talk to everyone next time. See you later, Kev. See you, Warren. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jeff.